This episode of Watch Out for Fireballs, Dispatch, is brought to you by our patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, you too can join them. Also, a couple of audio notes. Uh, landscapers came by and made noise. We've adjusted our schedule, so this won't be a problem in the future, but it did happen here. Also, I'm having some issues with my plosives, with my pop screen and the new setup. Uh, these will be addressed. Please bear with us. Thank you. Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, our monthly Patreon Q&A listener response topic special. Yeah, it's a big old grab bag where we're going to answer your questions and prompts, have a topic discussion, uh, then read your responses to October's games, and then tell you what we're playing in December. Indeed. And uh, happy October, everybody. Happy October. Um, yeah. October. Yeah. If you uh, say spooky season, spooks. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you out a window. Yep. I am <laughs> gonna defenestrate mm-hmm. the economy. In this I, economy. And <laughs> the the uh I have not uh done enough spooky stuff. Nope. Because you, the move. But I'm gonna do spook November. Spook Vember. Uh, you know, there's nothing stopping you. Yeah. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Christopher Columbus. Yeah, getting together Monsterism. in a small in a small room with a bunch of people. Bunch of COVID positive fuck faces. I call my family. Um, I don't have a family. Uh, let's uh, let's get into it. So, yeah. Um, oh yeah. man. Uh, I'm gonna start here because it's a, a comment for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Joshua says, uh, "No question." But I recently started playing through Baldur's Gate. What sold me was Gary mentioning that over the course of the games and expansion, you accrue to roughly 300 hours of playtime with your character. So far, I'm struck by how good the writing and world building is. I'm currently on chapter two of Baldur's Gate two. I feel spoiled to know that I have a short story to look forward to whenever I pick up my Nintendo Switch. As a D and D noob, it was so hard for me to get over the barriers of entry. BG one was essentially a 60 hour tutorial, but it truly is an amazing series. Uh, indeed, hell yes. Uh, I am eagerly waiting Baldur's Gate 3 to come out of early access, even though playing a new game does feel intimidating to me because I am consistently feeling behind because of move and move. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just generally work as well. So now yeah. to play games, got time to lean, got time to play No Endless Forever, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, I am. Yeah. And there are people who push brooms who mm-hmm. you can shoot in the head sometimes. Mm, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, I, I've, I've generally, I've been in a real, like, uh, you know, craving the nostalgia, craving the warm embrace of the Forgotten Realms. So Baldur's mm. Gate 3 has been, uh, has been especially tempting for me right now. Mm, remembered in, Realms. Yeah. And in, in, instead, I got that new D&D uh, module book, The Rime of the Frost Maiden. Oh. So I'm going to read through that. The Rap Battle. So, yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. R I M E. Uh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what does Richard say? Moving on to game questions here, uh, Richard asks, uh, I'd be really interested if you guys ever got around to reviewing the Outlast games. Uh, this time of year, I play them back to back. The first one, surprisingly, sold me within the first 15 minutes. 
Um, I like yeah. those games a lot. Yeah, uh, Cole has streamed them. We haven't covered them on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the first one and got, uh, you know, made my way most of the way through it, but lost interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I am less interested in uh, the horrors it is selling. It's a little too, like, I don't know, guy. Like, it's like a dude, man, scientist kind of thing. I wanted, I guess I wanted, like, a little bit more feeling of mystery yeah. to it, mm-hmm. um, you know. But, but I, I respect them. Outlast 2. <laughs> where well, it's cults, yeah, cults, cults, yeah. cults, 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 cults. I do, I do like cults. But, yeah. Uh, I want to apologize real quick, too. We record, started recording early because the idea was to avoid mm-hmm. uh, landscaping. And uh, it 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 looks like we didn't. Uh, they come at a random time. I think they roll a D6. Mm. Uh, and then come at a random time on Mondays, every other Monday. So that's something we'll have to figure out. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Ooh, I'm not hearing too much. I'm hearing maybe uh, what could be a leaf blower. They uh, they will come right by my window at some point. Okay. I'm on the ground floor now. Uh, not that anyone can use that information to kill me. Right. But, uh, you know, I am on the ground floor now. So apologies to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know a way around this today. But know that it won't be a problem forever. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, Dan says, uh, what is your view on DLCs? I know you've consistently covered them on the show, but I'd be interested to know how you view them. Not from a price point of view, but in terms of the game itself. I find myself extremely uninterested on DLC if I come to a game late where the DLC has already come and gone. Even when I come to a game fresh, I still don't get that much excitement out of it. Two recent examples are Outer Worlds and Doom Eternal. I absolutely love these games, had tons of fun, but once I was nearing the end game, I couldn't imagine wanting to essentially start again. I guess it comes down to a feeling of completion and putting it to bed irrespective of how much i love the game i think when the dlc releases compared to when you did the uh uh play the main body of the game makes a big difference in how much um how much appetite that i have for them so like i know that the dlc for marvel spider-man is pretty good i like marvel Mm -hmm. spider-man quite a bit it was one of my favorite games that came out this year one of the best open world games etc down the line I got the DLC, but I've never sat down to like play it because it was like it was already so long after um, I had finished the main game that the, the all three of them came out. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you, know, I always get that feeling I have to restart. Yeah. And then it's like, do I feel like doing that? Mm-hmm. So I haven't played the Hollow Knight uh, DLCs yet. Yeah. Uh, additional content. Immortal um, Unchained. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so in in a general sense. Uh, I am in favor mm-hmm. in a practical sense. It really kind of depends. Um, there are like series in which I always do the DLCs for like, yeah. I like the, the 3d fallout DLCs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really happy when I went back into those for four, uh, you know, but it is something that, uh, and we, you know, we do cover them. Like I do consider them to be part of the game, but yeah. I think they vary wildly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, obviously, uh, obviously elephant in the room two is from, uh, yeah, from software yeah. consistently does really good dlcs with one uh circular exception <laughs> one 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 circular, circular exception <laughs> dun, 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 dun. um yeah. two um yeah two <laughs> so. snowy areas yeah name the same thing for no reason and yeah so I, what i think is smart about from actually is that they don't do the we're going to put out the game and then like a month later release the DLC. They they wait, they make you wait like 6 months while they're mm-hmm. you know, while they're putting it out and at that point I am ready to go through and play again. Yeah. Yeah, same. And then they package those game of the year editions that have everything. It's like very unusually well integrated. Yeah. You know, so. Mhm. 
Um, yeah, that's basically what I think. I think so, too. Um, Stuart writes, you both have a proud history of disliking sexual content in games. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing that's <laughs> yeah. never caused any problems for us at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> source of pride. You've said you don't... Uh, it's my want... purple heart in this. <laughs> Uh, you, you said you don't want any games uh, and cartoons to try and make you aroused and have expressed distaste for the Bioware style of romance uh, where filling an affection meter rewards the player with sex. Are there examples of player driven romance or sexualized content in games uh, that you think has worked or at least been not terrible? Um, if that question is too personal, how long until Fallout 4 on WAF? And would the structure of the episodes be similar to 3 in New Vegas, or would it have to change since the format has changed too? Well, the question on Fallout 4 is far too, far too personal. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, I, I don't know when we'll do Fallout 4. I can't imagine the show not doing it. Yeah. I think that we will do our standard WRPG approach now, which is like generalities, main quests, side quests, and then mm -hmm. DLCs. Yeah. Uh, if possible, um, with some combination of their therein, depending mm -hmm. on the number of weeks we yeah. have in the month that we covered it. If we need to make if we need to make a concession with the format, then we then we will. There are things we can do yeah. about that. But yeah, we can do the DLC later, like we did with Witcher. Yeah. Speaking of good romance and games. Yeah, I was um, going to bring that up yeah. because those relationships that you can pursue feel well well lived in. You know. Mm -hmm. You know, even though I don't know a lot of the background of those characters, it is presented in a good way. And I think that Geralt is a, you know, a good and well-drawn enough character that I that I like seeing him have those interactions. And mm -hmm. it feels weird to say, oh, the Witcher does anything good with this because it started out with titty trading cards. But then you get to the DLC in Hearts of Stone where they row out over the moon, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. The um, I mean, the the common thing we did a whole uh, topic about this, mm -hmm. um, and the generality is uh, a cipher does not make a good romance. It is yeah. really hard to write a successful and good and interesting uh, romance story mm -hmm. while having a character be whatever the player wants it to be. Yeah. Uh, and that is also where you run into weird uh, wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. You know, video games can be kind of grotesque to me. Uh, girlfriend simulators. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what if a, a computer girl said nice things about you, mm -hmm. the player, holding the controller? Yeah. Uh, I find that kind of thing a little distasteful, even though I understand there's, like, an audience it serves. Yeah. So there, there's, it, we're talking about this, actually, today in the Slack. Like, it has become part of the water. Like, it's as much a part of video games as upgrade trees and map markers. Yeah. Now, do enough things, you know, uh, for the purple faction and the purple NPC will fuck you. Mm -hmm. uh, it feels like video games have given up on trying to find new ways to gamify romance. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've accepted the transactional, you know, everyone liked that. Everyone disliked that model mm -hmm. uh, for this, you know, and it intersects with player fantasies and, and kind of a gross, oftentimes dude centric ways, even though I understand that these mechanics serve uh, other, you know, oppressed people who are not mm -hmm. used to being served yes uh in media so i under i understand and respect that uh i just don't personally like it i think it's done poorly mm -hmm. nearly all of the time yeah you uh, know with a cipher additionally not that big of a fan of 3d rendered um you know nudity and stuff like Plum? that yeah yeah, 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 yeah. like the, the more uh, the more prurient it gets uh you know what what is it the, the this only this only exists to serve a uh, a purient interest that tends to get under my skin 
aesthetically and also because it ages super poorly like go back and watch fahrenheit <laughs> or, yeah, dragon uh, age dragon age one yeah yeah the the the, uh, the climactic thing where you mm-hmm. impregnate the immortal witch with the yeah. ball spawn baby or whatever and like it's <laughs> it's just like two weird real dolls like yeah. rotating around each other like a child's mm-hmm. mobile mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah, uh, yeah, it, but, it it does fill me with disgust mm-hmm. in a you weird know, way. It just kind of turn off as a player in you know a player who is interested in story and character. I like the I like the um, articulation of romance where it's like, oh, I just want to learn more about this character, so I'm going to spend more time with them, and they're going to be more affectionate to me because of that, and I'm going to learn more. But like otherwise, I think that I am just more of a fan of a relationship between established characters, like the relationship between uh, Ellie and Riley in the Last of Us DLC is really good. Mm-hmm. you know yeah they they just have to be characters yeah if they're not characters i don't think it can be done well yeah it's hard so. to get invested in a in, in a relationship where only one half of it necessarily exists yeah. <laughs> uh sam asks uh what do you think of the state of games are you a video game optimist generally think that there's been a ton of great games and the medium is getting better or a pessimist think the great days are behind us while i love retro games i generally consider myself to be an optimist switch and ps4 have been amazing maybe it's more nuanced than that i'm an optimist i don't i don't think there's any reason to believe things are getting worse you know Mm -hmm. i think that there have always been several different tracks there have been trends that have been not for me or have been deleterious but Oftentimes, after a few years, those either go away or get integrated in a way that is not offensive. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm generally an optimist. I don't see a reason, you know, to say like, yes, this is a thing that is making things worse. Yeah, I, I, I will, you know, take that and and add on to it. Where like I also get really annoyed by video game pessimism. Uh, it's a big part of like Twitter spheres that I I appreciate, but I'm also annoyed by. Yeah. Because uh, to me, the pie just keeps getting bigger. And like, you know, right now I could play a, you know, once you include HIO and indie stuff, I can play a video game about anything I want, almost literally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the subject matter has never been more diverse. So, you know, whinging about, uh, you know, another, you know, shooting people simulator is annoying to me because that's not the case. Like that used to be the case where there mm-hmm. was far fewer things, but I think it's actually getting way better and people aren't really acknowledging it. Yeah um mm-hmm. yeah and and you know i also i'm a fun there's a function of, i just said i am a, a function of limited time uh that's <laughs> yeah. dark uh but I'm, I'm a, i am a function of limited time mm-hmm. so there's also more things that come out than i'll ever get a chance to play yes so whatever the uh the level is that like i will die before i get to play everything i want to has already been far surpassed um and therefore i live in a post-scarcity yes uh mindset with this medium mm-hmm. and any medium really there's just infinite content out there and just it's just there for me if i want it yeah so agreed yeah um i'm gonna jump down to media questions okay let's um do. let's see here uh charlotte writes uh it seems like the last couple of years have seen way more comics being used as source material for tv shows uh, and it uh, usually seems to work out pretty well I know it's a completely different medium, but in a perfect world, which comic series or arcs uh, would you like to see adapted into games? What genre would they be? How would they play? I'd love to see a uh, horror Hellboy game. Uh, that weird one for PlayStation doesn't count. Or a surreal narrative experience set in the Sandman universe. Those are both good ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I would... 
boy, like individual comics, I think it would be really, uh, I would really appreciate a game that was bifurcated between like a mech combat game set in the Wii 3 universe where you slowly come to terms with that being bad and escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you customize your, your animac oh, yeah. and then you eventually, uh, you know, realize like, oh, war is bad because mm-hmm. it's a mech genre thing. <laughs> and then you, uh, you leave because war is bad. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be super cool. I don't have to participate. They've given me the tools to avoid this. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, the different uh, animals as different character classes could have different chassis mm-hmm. and would have different communication skills yeah. uh, based on their kind of like level of sentience like they do in that comic. I think that'd be super cool. Yeah. Um, keeping it, you know, with Grant Morrison, because we are parodies of ourselves in most of my comic, expo- my most of my comic exposure comes from you, Gary, um, an open mm-hmm. world, uh, the filth game would be amazing. Oh, that'd be great. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even yeah. have to be a huge world that you were in. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even just on the scale of like a Yakuza or whatever, whatever. But, um, having things be as explicitly weird and metatextual as that, uh, would be, uh, would be really fun. You just oh, being just a part of this. like, yeah, yeah. Filth. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Yeah, that'd and be amazing. That'd be super cool. That's a good idea. Also, like my my standard uh, X Men tactics. Yes. Uh, is I'm amazed that hasn't already happened, and it's basically done. Mm-hmm. Just take it and it's perfect. It, please. Yeah. Just do do, do, a, do a reskin of um oh gosh the XCOM chi- or Chimera game. <laughs> Chimera Squad. Yeah. Yeah, but with X Men. Mm-hmm. Um. Andrew says, uh, for the spooky month, what kind of spooks do you enjoy? Uh, what are the kinds you cannot stand? For example, I love super campy over the top stuff like creep show, but I have low tolerance for gross body horror. So reading the human centipede wiki page ruined my whole week back when it first came out. I'm generally Um, a take all comers when it comes to spooks, like the big ones that people sometimes complain about, uh, torture porn, for example, I can, I can cite good movies in that saw two and hostile two. I think that mm-hmm. uh, generally I get bored. I get bored of slashers, but that's just because of when they were made and the budget they were made with. They're mm-hmm. like the the actual like ratio of good to bad ones is not really that great. So like if I was gonna you know draw draw them from a like a pool like a slot machine or gashapon kind of thing, I would say like yeah, slashers probably uh, a bad you know a, a, a bad tire on that particular cart. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm good with all horrors, probably. Yeah, that cart has like a hundred wheels, though. Yes. Just send a cart. <laughs> so one bad tire does not spoil. Don't the read cart, the, wiki- the Wikipedia for human centipede. Yes, <laughs> the, the um, I read the the Wikipedia for all three human centipedes. Mm, so uh, have I actually. I, I did weird. that. I did that relatively recently, actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like we should talk. Uh, the uh, I uh, podcaster centipede. Mm, um. The, the uh, I uh, I am like Andrew in that really gross body horror stuff is hard for me. Um, I don't like dismissing it. I didn't don't like when like torture porn came out as a blanket dismissal of anything. Yeah. with body horror uh, in it because I think that that's you know not really what those movies are, and I don't think it's good to reduce them to that. Yeah. But also like watching somebody like vivisect themselves or something like that is too oftentimes too hard for me to watch. Yeah. Um, there's a very specific uh, memory I have of that, of the movie Nightbreed, uh, where at one point a character wants to become one of the Nightbreeds, and he's like trying to convince one of the Nightbreeds that he's one of them, and he peels off his own scalp, and it made me feel faint, yeah, uh, and I you know could not handle it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or the scene in the movie Hannibal, 
where uh, oh, yeah. tells Mason Verger to peel off his face and feed it the dogs. Uh-huh. Uh, cannot do. Nope. Uh, that is too much for me. So I guess like salt, very specifically salt vivisection yeah, is my yeah. genre, is my sub wheel. It's the nut <laughs> on the wheel that I can't handle. Yeah, it, it would need to be any anytime somebody is way too calm about what is happening to them. That like it is very effective for me. It doesn't draw me away like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, just hey, peel off your own face and feed the dogs. That is a lot. Yeah, that, that's that was a lot. I had mm-hmm. to look away. <laughs> like I'm just like, oh fuck, dude. I've never seen that scene. Like I can't look at it, even though I know it's shot in like shadow and it's not nearly as shocking as the words are. But mm-hmm. yeah, it made my stomach do a backflip. I still flinch away at the large Marge scene. Yeah, I, I do not flinch away at that. I can handle large Marge. Yeah, uh, she's made of clay, like all of. Uh, yeah, I know. know all all Marges. Marge. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say about different kinds of horror. No, yeah. uh, what does Mark say? Um, oh, no, this is, uh, you know, no, yeah, I think this is you. Okay. Uh, Mark says, I love the board game pandemic, but I have a hard time playing it during, you know, a real life global pandemic. I also find that I can't watch cringe comedy that I usually love a la the office, etc. Nowadays. Do you all have any media that you find that you just can't enjoy in the same way that you used to, even if you really want to during 2020? Um, I do not have any broad categories. I do tend to seek more comforting, uh, media in 2020 in a general sense. Yeah. Uh, but there are no like categories of things. I, it's, it's not like I cannot, you know, diseases are hard or cringe is hard or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't have those mere neurons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is very badly timed and borderline and poor taste for them to put out a, uh, television miniseries version of the stand this year, like they're mm. doing. Uh, I understand, mm-hmm. you know, only if only the first third of that story is about the disease, but I don't know. That seems like it'd be a pretty rough putt, <laughs> a pretty rough mm-hmm. putt to watch. Uh, but it's coming out. <laughs> Who knows yeah. how that's going to work for them? Uh, but generally, pretty much fall in the same boat as you, Gary. I think that um, the other aspect of 2020, outside of even just the um, Outside of even just uh, the, the the pandemic stuff, like anything that touches on white supremacy has been like, I don't know, a little bit mm. to me. Um, like I have not been able to bring myself to watch the adaptation of Watchmen that came out earlier this year, well before the recent flare up of mm. um, racial justice uh, 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 demonstrations. Failures. Yes, failures. Yeah, failures among, and demonstrations. Because, because yeah. it explicitly deals with that. And I understand that they're making a point about that. Like, hey, this is the way that the world could have and did degrade after the events. But it just, it I, it's too real. Too real for me as an observer yeah. to see something, to watch a story about that. Yeah. Right now, uh, I can, inside I, of it. I, I feel like I can handle that. The weird The weird way that, like, this is manifested for me in terms of like political stuff is I can't watch. Uh, I've been unable to have fun um, about political stuff. Yeah. So like uh, things that joke about it. Um, like obviously I don't watch Saturday Night Live because I'm not a fucking moron. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, also yeah. like, you know, just like, oh, what if somebody makes fun of Trump? Like, yeah. you no, know, I don't want to see him. I don't want to hear him. I don't want somebody to like edit his speech. I don't want to hear his speech because of how like outlandish and like incoherent he sounds. Yeah. I just don't want to see him. I, I can have no fun mm-hmm. from it. Uh, he's just needs like, he's a stain and, and should be uh, removed. Yes. Uh, you know, from our history, yep. uh, just really, really, uh, you know, I have no, no interest in seeing or hearing him. Yeah. 
Um, so, and that includes other media that he's in. So my yearly rewatch of uh, Home Alone 2, along with my yearly replay of Lords of the Fallen has been stalled. Lords of the Stalin. Uh, I... <laughs> Lords of the Fallen. What? Yeah. No, I was just joking about rewatching Home Alone 2. Oh. With my yearly replaying as Lords of the Fallen as being the world's biggest Lords of the Fallen fan. Gotcha. Considering that game to be a solid C minus. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. I, so. I, I, I like played through that entire game story and fast forward in my mind thinking, was fucking Donald Trump, Trump in involved in that? <laughs> well, if you read between the lines. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We have. We, we, like He's the, 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 the big hand, the big hand. Yeah. Um, it's yes. about his small hands. Yeah. 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 Get it? Yeah. I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is hard to talk about uh, political things and be funny, I think. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to be a problem for like, a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I, I don't I don't find it funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then this is just a real quick one. I'll just grab this because it's baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey says, uh, do you two have any affection for the haunting the Hill house and Bly Manor series? I know you're overloaded with content, but for what it's worth, it'd be interesting to hear your takes on it. If a spot in the schedule opens up. Um, I have not been, mm-hmm. uh, it is just in the media pile of things I have not gotten to. It's in the media pile. pile. Same. Yeah. Yep. Uh, curious, but mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like it'd be my jam. Just, you know, that's a, uh, you know, 10 hours, 10 hours. I got to find, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on to life questions. Let's do it. Got a couple of these. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. This is a goofy one. Ian says each duck feed podcast crew past and present enters a pizza eating contest. Each group of two needs to finish a 30 inch five topping pizza within one hour. Jesus Christ. 30 Mm -hmm. inches, man. (laughs) Um, assume any podcast with more or fewer than two people, uh, needs to finish a proportionate amount of pizza in the same time limit, which podcast will triumph. Uh, would you order different toppings to represent WAF bonfire side chat or orb? Um, I, my, my binge eating days are done. Yep. <laughs> uh, I used to be able to just like eat a whole pizza uh-huh. and now, uh, very occasionally I can do it, but then I just, I feel like garbage for longer than a day. Yeah. If uh, I, if I eat a whole pizza now, it would basically have the same effect as me eat drinking a half bottle of liquor. I would be ruined yeah. the next day. Yeah. I'd say you get a hangover <laughs> from that now. Yeah. Um, you know, but however, the, the important part of this that I think is not addressed is that it's a contest. Yes. So it really depends on what you win. Like, I think that any podcast I'm on, if you won something good, mm-hmm. you know, like a brand new Huffy, Ooh. Uh, then I would, uh, I would probably be able to put aside my, my pizza hangover mm-hmm. and show up, you know, for yeah. 15 inches of, of pizza, which isn't how radiuses work. But, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> That's the tricky um, part because, you know, if you look at the, at the ratios, like a 16 inch pizza is damn near twice as much pizza as a 14 inch pizza. Like, yeah. <laughs> the 30 inches, so, you know, it's, it's, it's getting there. I think like, uh, like 30 inches is bigger than the pizza that Walt throws up on the roof. Um, yeah. Significantly yeah. so. Yeah. It's like a 24 or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this is a, a truly gargan- gargantuan yeah. <laughs> amount of pizza. Uh, but me and you or me and Will, I think, could if we were properly motivated. Yes. Um, I think that on the level, so we would have five people, so it would have to be two and a half of these. David can put away food like 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 nobody's business. He's one of those okay. wiry guys who just I've seen him. I've seen him really just go eats. go ham. Yeah. 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 
Um, but I think oh, everybody, everybody else has a, has a, you know, probably the same, the, the, the same constitution as me as regards eating a shitload the of food. Limit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the GERD limit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we like to call it. Approaching the GERD horizon. <laughs> the GERD horizon. The GERD barrier. Yeah. Approaches. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in terms of pizza toppings, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Waff and Bonfire Satiat ones would just be whatever you and I like. Yeah. And the yeah. Orb one, I guess. So mm-hmm. they, I don't think they had different pizza toppings. I think we no. just choose our five favorite toppings. Well, I would also want to answer. I, I would want to get the toppings that would not. I mean that a, that that would not be difficult to eat, but also wouldn't add volume. So the second you start adding sausage on that mf'er, like that's a lot of volume on yeah. top of there. Yeah, yeah. You want even something though that, that cooks would down. help, like with like fat content to make it go down. A okay. Bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the ingredients may be being sausage, and the rest of them are like basil, oregano, yeah, you know, stuff like that, like garlic, mm-hmm. extra yeah. sauce. Yeah, could cook down uh cook down spinach yeah 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 just think you know anything that's going to make it move a little bit better because we you know regardless of what the reward is unless it's a lifetime supply of toilet uh, we're going <laughs> to need something to pass that pizza <laughs> so yeah just... unless we get one of those sims toilets that literally uh sucks you out <laughs> uh, we, need, we, need, we all need something yeah uh let you me know? see here so circle radius 14 has an area of Let's round to the, let's just round to integers, 616. Um, okay. 16 is 804, so not quite double, but still substantially bigger, right? Yeah. Um, okay. And 30 is 2,827. Uh, inches? <laughs> um, square inches, yeah. Square inches. Yeah. So what would that be in square feet? 2,800? I, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be a bit. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a bit. It'd be like eating a wall. Yes. So, yeah. no thank you. No um, thank you whatsoever. But I'll do it for a Huffy. Yes. Uh, not for a Schwinn. I mean, um, like, Gary, a Huffy costs like 200 bucks. No, no, I just, I really like the idea of uh, the bikes as an omnipresent prize. Oh, yeah, yeah. For a contest. Like, brand new Huffy. <laughs> um, I don't know when I saw that, put that in my head. Yeah. Um, Garf Artfunkel. That's very a very good, good name. name. Uh, says, uh, the topic of the joy of pet ownership and general love of animals comes up often for you both. I was curious how each of you had reconciled these feelings with the thoughts of factory farming and the meat industry in general. This doesn't, was on a purpose to relate to the last question. Um, <laughs> I recognize that loving pets and eating factory produced meat aren't inherently contradictory acts that I think all introspective pizza people who eat meat typically have at some point wrestled with the cognitive dissonance of how animals are treated within modern agricultural norms. Norms have become increasingly less ethical in recent years, given the limited oversight for from Trump's appointees in that sector. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't love this. I every once in a while will dally with the idea of going vegetarian because I just, you know, as my love of pets has changed into an all-purpose love of animals mm-hmm. uh through seeing them, but it is still abstract to me uh, yeah. in my head where like, you know, meat feels different than an animal, mm-hmm. even though I know that it's not. There's a lot of distance. There are so many steps that it yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't have a good ethical or practical answer for this. It's just that dissonance that I decided to live with for now. Yeah. You know, it, it's um, a, it's a dissonance someday. that a lot of people have chosen to live with. I think that for me, I've just kind of, uh, 
generally like down to even just taking the factory farming out of it like different animals do different things for people we are meant to live mm-hmm. alongside them and stuff so that's kind of what i <laughs> where, where i file it which is kitties are for petting and cows even though they are just big dogs they're for eating and that's mm-hmm. again not ethical and not consistent um yeah i think that the biggest arguments that would get me to switch my um ha- habits would be a health uh if there was you know, if I if I got bit by one of those ticks that made you allergic to meat, you know, sure. <laughs> or if enough doctors, you know, tried to like wrestle a piece of bacon away from me. OK, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, like if regulation gets so bad, which is kind of where things are headed right now, where just it is incredibly unsafe to eat meat, then yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then like let's throw in like ecology and like price as it goes. I think that um, we're going to just by necessity head toward, um, you know, more meat substitutes. And that's fine because a lot again, because of that distance, a lot of stuff that now is made of meat could convincingly be made of stuff that's not meat. Consider the corn dog. There is no reason that corn dog needs to involve the death of a cow. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah. Unless like a corn dog killed its family or well, yeah. vice versa yeah. or what have you. Um <laughs> Yeah, another thing, too, that if somebody really wanted to get me in a hypocrisy trap, which I don't think Garf uh, is is doing here, no, but a lot no. of people love to talk about, um, oh, like, if you eat meat, you should hunt it and slaughter it yourself, uh, and that's a yikes for me, fam. That's going to mm-hmm. miss me. Uh, no way. Yeah. Uh, not in a million years. So I, I don't, uh, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to get to the distance part where I like eating meat enough to where I want to slaughter an animal or clean an animal or do anything with it really other than yeah. uh, pet it and mm-hmm. admire it on internet. So yeah, yeah. just uh, yeah. going to take the hypocrisy card on this one. Yeah. Like I'll take you know? the hypocrisy card, but I am persuadable. I do not understand anti-vegetarianism. I think people, sometimes just like to be real cranky about it sometimes oh yeah it's it's yeah. dumb it's dumb you know it's it's a weird thing where it's a massive overcorrection because for a while i do think that it was a real thing that like vegetarians and vegans were you know evangelical about it to the point of annoyance yeah and or enough, enough decided, of them like, were enough of them yes were. Yeah. and not every one of them but like enough of them were and then culture decided like how fucking dare you yeah. i'm cursing you your children your children's children <laughs> to look at bacon t-shirts and have people yell at you about this for the rest of your life yeah that's you bullshit know? or if you order something that doesn't have meat that's what the dinner conversation is going to be about now you know yeah. and I, I have like does... vegetarian days like yeah. con- pretty consistently i'd probably mm-hmm. say like two to three days a week yeah I don't eat any meat. Yeah. Um, I, I try and do at least one day a week that doesn't have any meat in it. Not like a meatless Monday, like explicitly Christian kind of thing, but you can get pretty far on lentils and stuff. Like it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, tastes like, good. Cheap. Yeah. Meatless Not chili. Cool. Turns out it's good. So you, you can just do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, let's uh, move on to the lightning round. Yeah, let's do some lightning lightning round stuff here. Um, I'll pick up the first one here with with Cinderella who says, "I'm having trouble podcasting with my baby crawling all over, getting up into stuff." Do you guys uh, you guys have cats? Any advice? I'm not sure if Cinderella is using the word baby to refer to a cat, or if they were talking about it uh, um, uh, a just born human. I no, I think they have a human. They have a human. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're referring to a cat. Right. Um, yeah, you can almost hear a pocket meowing outside my office now. Yeah. Um, I am stifling saying ouch because uh, because Dottie is uh, biting on my ankle right now. 
and I'm trying to move mm-hmm. my leg so she doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't, any of the advice I have for cats would not apply to babies. Uh, I lock pocket out of my office while I record now, mm-hmm. now that I uh, cohabitate. And uh, you should not do that with your baby. We have no. to take care of it legally. Legally, yeah. Uh, yes, the law does change what can and can't be done in this yes. situation. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe a pack and play on the other side of the house with a with a monitor that you can look at. I don't mm-hmm. know. No idea. Yep, yep. Uh, Christian says, a quick question. Which Kingfield games do you recommend for fans of the Dark Souls series? Uh, really just four? Yep. Um, if you like that, you can play uh, the other ones, but four is the, the really good one. Yeah. Um, four and um, on the PS1, Shadow Tower. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Connor writes, much like Gary gives the come hither to your bonfire site chat guests, are you either together or individually open to some jolly collaboration? Also ever seen that film, the platform 2019. We are not available to guest on your platform cast. Quit asking us. <laughs> I I, I'm, I'm just kidding. That, that would be very mean if that were true. Uh, this is the first <laughs> I've heard of this. It's, um, I like guesting on stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel really uh, with my head underwater recently, um, getting caught up. I just have this weird feeling like, oh, this is what happens when you can like move one step forward, but you get set two steps back. Yeah. yeah. Like you're just, I'm just feel like I'm always going to be behind now for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. uh, which I know isn't true, but I have that feeling, uh, right now. So in general, uh, definitely, uh, I am open to offers and I've guessed it on like a bunch, a bunch of stuff and I mm-hmm. think it's fun, but, uh, I can't do it right this second I'm right. recording the dispatch for October for watch out for fireballs. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, I've done a little bit more of it recently. I used to be a little bit more close to it because of my schedule and stuff, but like been on a couple of retronauts, um, Doug, a uh, friend of the show here, uh, has guested on mm-hmm. an episode, uh, uh, sponsored quite a few. I guested on his podcast, a podcast, but evil, uh, recently, mm-hmm. uh, to talk about Pennywise, the clown. It's a, it's a fun podcast oh. about like villains where they uh, where they mm-hmm. talk about villains and media um so that should be going up around uh, around halloween here um but yeah you know generally open to it but the specifics matter yeah uh but you could always reach out stuff like that is best uh, done over email mm-hmm. uh, so just our first names at duckfeed.tv yeah because then we have a record of it and we mm-hmm. have uh, the pitch and stuff and if you have sent us an email if we never if something happened you sent an email about that and i've never gotten back to you please send mm-hmm. it again yeah um i will definitely respond i just uh yeah. busy and absent-minded mm-hmm uh, Steven, uh, says if your torso had to be fused to an animal, for example, like Quaylag, what would it be? Gary's torso. Um, I would have, I would have my torso, uh, to Quaylag, not a spider, but to Quaylag. So you could spider Quaylag and then right where Quaylag's head would be. There's my torso. Yeah. So podcast or no. centipede. No, I mean, yeah, that, that, I, I said Gary's torso for mine. We go yeah. full cat dog. So no legs, no legs. Yeah. yeah. No legs, please. No coffin, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't have an honest answer for this. Uh, I think I think all of it would be awkward. <laughs> no, no, something with two legs. Yeah. Just so I don't have to buy new pants. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I almost said a goat, but then I realized, oh, those have four legs. Shit. Yeah. yeah. But they can walk around. Yeah. Black, I could black Philip it up. Um <laughs> um let's see here jonathan writes so like is elden ring real or did we all just get a very specific communal hallucination i think uh, that that's a combination of them having announced it too soon um and also maybe their production got disrupted uh by uh what everybody's going through 
yeah, global pandemic. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, released that way too early. Yeah. The um the the trailer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um. All right. Uh, Tom asks, uh, God mode or no clip? Um. In a game, God mode. In real life, no clip. Uh. Opposite for me. Ooh. What's your reasoning? Um. No clip. Uh. Allows you to skip content. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically the no clip hall of fame, which is the sewers and bloodlines. <laughs> um, and then God mode, you know, me and my immortality thing. Right. Right. My, like I, I interpret God mode to be, you still feel everything that happens. So it's a little bit like a Wolverine thing. Oh, um, why? I, I don't know. I have no reason. Like, there's nothing <laughs> yeah. in the text. It's just God mode. Yeah. yeah. I, you, like, I feel like God probably doesn't feel pain. I mean, he sees everything. You yeah, but he... if you felt pain, you'd do something about it. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't be naive. <laughs> Sees everything and ignores it. Cool. Yep. Okay. I can't. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I, I, Thanks I for can't. You got there. I can't plus one that. So. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. So. And uh, no clip. Uh, just just get, getting through stuff is better. Get the better than getting around it. Also, no clip yeah. lets you fly. So that's cool. No um, clip would let you fly. It's yeah. true. Uh, God mode would let me hijack jets. <laughs> so I could fly anywhere I want to. So. But then they would put you in like immortal per, immortal person jail. That's what, that's what they think they would do. And if they put me in jail, guess what? No clip out, baby. <laughs> yeah. And you're just you're gonna end up falling through the geometry. Well, <laughs> but then I can it's, get it's back up. It's fine. Not if you had a kill box. <laughs> I can just make kill boxes I like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By which I mean a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> machine fires kill boxes oh geez <laughs> um, darren writes hades 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 yeah hades uh, is fun. it's real good yeah yeah real fun um been a, a spirited discussion in the slack mm-hmm. uh recently i am on the the side of loving the wireframe of this and feeling that like some of the fluff is a little annoying to me yeah. but people seem to be split uh people it's real weird like people tend to either be playing for the fluff or playing for the mechanics yeah um and they just feel weirdly integrated to me as a roguelike mm-hmm. fan um you know i don't like tying uh, my progression and my resources into story mm-hmm. stuff uh the way that it does but i do really like the wireframe and you get a lot of really fun synergies and all of the story stuff while i'm not bowled over by it is impeccably presented yep uh which is kind of uh you know super giant's trick yes Yep, I, I I'm I'm pretty much there. Let's say seventy five for um yeah seventy five for the wireframe and the play, um twenty five for the uh for the for the presentation kind of things. Like it's hard to point out like a better animated action game. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that counts for a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and if you like uh, hunky dudes calling each other mate, mm-hmm. and a lot of people like do. Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing it before bed like basically every night. It's really fun. Yeah, it's good. So. Good stuff. Uh, and then our final lightning round, uh, Matt asks, let's talk desserts, cake or pie. What kind of cake? What kind of pie? Filled or ringed donuts, chocolate or butterscotch sundaes. What about unique things like baklava, cannoli, or rugelach? Uh, discussed. I think you mean baklava. 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 I'll go lightning round this. Okay. Uh, pie, cheesecake. Uh, pumpkin pie, ring donuts, chocolate sundaes, uh, cannoli. Yeah, I'm going to go cake. Um, 
just real simple, uh, like a dark chocolate cake with a cream cheese icing on it. Um, what kind of pie? <sighs> uh, that's that. That's really tough. I like a. Um, this is gonna sound ridiculous. It'll make me sound like I'm a uh, like a like a like a uh, German cartoon character, but chocolate chip pie. My mom makes mm. that, and it's very good, very rich. You only need like a slice of it. Um, ring donuts, chocolate sundae, um, and cannoli. Yeah, cannoli would be would be mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's move on to topic. Yes, let's do topic. Uh, I need to find where it's at. Yes. So for our topic this week, um, this month rather, um, Holland writes, what makes a good cell phone game? You see uh, a lot of shit get ported to iPhone and Android devices with virtual D-pads, and they pretty universally suck the balls from the sack of the sky or however that phrase goes. Uh, Then you have wonderful cell phone games like Hidden My Game by Mom, Hitman Go, Alto's Adventure, etc., so what, in your fine gentleman's opinion, is the secret sauce that makes great phone games great? Yeah. Is it desert golf or not? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I, I uh, might have had a different answer for this like a couple months ago before I got sucked into the free-to-play nightmare zone that is Plants vs. Zombies 2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where I'm doing like daily quests and participating in tournaments and stuff to get exclusive seed packets. You're doing like this really? Still? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, still. No, I've, uh, I've, you know, I've definitely, it, yeah. I've, I've, I've fallen in that hole before played, uh, I, I put some money into deep town. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, uh, just, just very little money yet. Just a couple, you know, dollars here and there, but yeah, more yeah. like, uh, just criminal amounts of my finite time on earth. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of what, and I don't think that's what makes a good mobile game. No, that would, that's what makes a <laughs> mobile makes game a, that you engage with in a way that you wouldn't have expected to engage in a mobile game. But yeah, that's what makes a mobile game evil and compulsive. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, I don't just measure games by how much I want to play them. No. You know? Um, but yeah, uh, I think that Holland got a lot of it. Uh, so design from the ground up is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I have not played any game with a virtual D pad I thought was worth playing. Right. Uh, and I've done a bunch because when I first got, you know, I was an early adopter of iOS gaming. Mm hmm and would buy ports of stuff I liked yeah. because the novelty of playing some of that stuff uh, remotely was really appealing. Mm-hmm. So. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and like, there were a couple of things where like, it kind of maybe worked a little bit. Like, I don't know. I was real taken in by, Oh God, what was the name of that unreal demo? That was like super early on that ended up being like a tech demo for um, the punch out game that they did. Yeah, Unreal Citadel, where you're like wandering okay. around a first person um like medieval castle or whatever. Like that ended up working and it, it ended up working a little bit into something. You can't play these anymore because of the hellscape of compatibility, but uh the silent meadow games, I think is what they were. Quiet Meadow. Mm. That, Dark like, the, Meadow. Dark Meadow, yeah. The first person yeah. um horror game where you were uh shooting crossbows and stuff at uh, little zombies that would come at you had a little bit of the uh the, the immortal um uh, you know immortal blade kind of dna to it but like that was first person navigation and there were not an awful lot of like demands placed on you there's some stuff that is demoed like at apple events where it's like i cannot understand how anybody would play this like how are people playing Fortnite on their phones are they yeah are they putting are they using bluetooth controllers like i don't get it 
Yeah. 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 I, I think they're using Bluetooth <clears throat> controllers. Maybe. And then it's kind of like, what's the point? <laughs> right. You know, you know, I guess. Um, that's something that Apple Arcade keeps trying to sell to me mm -hmm. is, you know, play it on the big screen, like use this as a console. Yeah. And I can't help but think like, why would I do that? Like mm -hmm. to me, uh, you know, as we approach the hardware singularity of video games where everything right. runs on everything, basically, um, good iOS games or good uh, mobile games mm -hmm. have something unique to them, like having the kind of simple touch controls, you know, that games are built for the ground up have. And then uh, more importantly, like pick up and play uh, kind of stuff, like short limited runs yeah, uh, or the games that save any time like Desert Golf or what mm -hmm. have you. Um, uh, that's what I want. From that being able to play a console experience on my phone uh is not the point that is not that that uh, is not the selling point that i think that marketers believe that it is yes yeah. um you know and for some people like perhaps the cost you know i already have a phone so the cost mm -hmm. of entry for that is different than a ps4 or a gaming pc yeah so yeah. this is how i play fortnite what am i gonna do not play mm -hmm. fortnite yes <laughs> um the, <laughs> the answer is yes so, resoundingly yeah. Yeah, you're all right. Um, the, the, um, so uh, made from the ground up, mm -hmm. uh, short runs, um, autosave, uh, obviously, like being able to put something to sleep and just start up mm -hmm. where it was. Um, I find I used to have a lot more tolerance for very text heavy yeah. uh, iOS games and now a little bit less so. Uh, and I don't know if it's my eyesight. Mm -hmm. uh, getting a little worse or if i just my taste have changed but like when i first found froths i was like over the moon with it and just like mm -hmm. played tons of text adventures on my phone and now i just don't associate my phone with that like that's the text is too small it's not fun for me to yeah. do that in line at a bank or whatever mm -hmm. that is a much different value proposition on an ipad there yeah, like and yeah. th th like there is a slight distinction between like hey is this game good for tablets is this game good for phones um, and that is one of them is that the iPad is generally better for a, t a more text heavy kind of thing. Yeah. I've, I've got an iPad. I just, I don't, mm -hmm. uh, don't use it for that stuff either. It's more right. like a, a mental association than anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think to a certain degree, simplicity or the presentation of simplicity is, uh, is, is an important thing. So like this kind of dovetails a little bit with made, made from the ground up for it, but like management sims you know it's a genre oh, yeah. that, that, that i really that i really like i prefer the ones that were made for the form factor of the ios like things that kairosoft has done versus mm -hmm. stuff that is that has been brought over like you can play civilization 6 on your on your iphone and i i don't know man like yeah <laughs> there's, there's lots of interface problems for that that's a lot to take care of it and also fuzzy. yeah yeah just a general like fussiness for it so so yeah, yeah, like that, like that, that is a big thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't mean that the game itself has to be mm -hmm. super simple. Um, you know, the game can have like kind of crunchy mechanics yeah. and work, work just fine. None of the ones mentioned uh, in Holland's example do, but like Dungeon Raid had fairly complicated mechanics, mm -hmm. really robust class system. It's one of my favorite iOS games that is now delisted, yeah. uh, but it's extremely good. Um, I remember playing the Quest which is like Morrowind, mm -hmm. uh, pre-Morrowind. That's really fun and really complicated Yeah. Um, on, uh, on iOS. Um, so it doesn't have to be super simple, but there's a simplicity of presentation and a, uh, you know, kind of an initial simplicity that I think is really important, mm -hmm. um, even if there's a lot of depth there. Yeah, I think that um, Zach Gage is somebody who does a really good job with that as mm -hmm. like a designer, uh, as the person who did um, oh, Spell Tower, 
uh did um really bad chess good sudoku <laughs> mm-hmm. um flip-flop solitaire uh, like um any of these uh, pocket run pool like any of these have a good amount of like variation and things going on under the hood but they like all that exists on this you know all that exists is on the screen and all the things you can do are touch and drag there's not yeah. like not an awful lot of like nested dependencies for like getting things to happen you know yes yeah um in terms of other genres that i think like generally go real well mm-hmm. um in terms of ports or originals uh tactics games have gone really well for me yeah uh, it is still my preferred final fantasy tactics medium mm-hmm. uh because it works really well with touch and one battle is like a before bed session it's not a standing in line in the bank session mm-hmm. but it's something i just want to whip out yeah oh uh, man back, back when we were playing um I, I think i only got through like the first chapter or so but when we were doing um tactics advance or uh, tactics ogre mm-hmm. I sat down and I just I just recently got a twelve point nine inch iPad Pro. Uh, mm-hmm. Playing Tactics on that is a fucking delight. It's like yeah. heaven. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. Yeah, you know, um, absolutely. Um, another thing that is a genre that's specific, and this makes a good iOS thing. That's something I've gotten into more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, is board game simulations. Oh yeah, um, because those, uh, you know. Uh, they have a lot of complicated rules and pieces and shit mm-hmm. and you don't have to deal with those things. Yeah. So like the elder signs board game port is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that works really well. There's a game called uh, one deck dungeon, mm. uh, that I like to play. Um, and that has like different classes and upgrades and stuff. It has a roguelike kind of, uh, steez to it, mm-hmm. but, and I could buy that with cardboard and stuff, but if I don't want to set it out, set it up, I can just play it on my iPad. Yeah. It's really fun. Mm hmm um i have also um i enjoy playing ticket to ride um and i can't imagine mm-hmm. like keeping score on that if i was playing with other people uh the phone board yeah. of that is really good yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um so basically like there are some unique things to it so they end up making them good not because of anything necessarily i mean it is something that's inherent to the medium it's just not inherent to iphone it's because it's a computer yeah so it's a combination of on the go-ness and the fact that a computer will take care of the, all this annoying overhead for you mm-hmm yeah um if an ios game says wear headphones um Mm -hmm. that probably is not going to fit into my life or like i'm going to ignore that i I prefer games that can be played silently uh, or while a podcast is playing just because of the the conditions in which i find myself playing them Mm -hmm. you know papa sangre expert mode (laughs) yep (laughs) you just you just guess yeah yeah Mm -hmm. no 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 safety net um it's hard to know my papa and me it's hard to um figure out like where to categorize these but like two games that i've really enjoyed that basically fall under like management or puzzle are mini metro and freeways Mm. um Mm -hmm. have you played either of those i i saw i've seen them in the store but i have not picked them up yes the like both of them are about like route optimization um in different ways like mini metro you are setting nodes like people need to get from one place to another and you're you're designing a little like abstract um a little abstract uh like subway system kind of thing in different cities mm-hmm. around different limitations with you know rivers and things like that and then freeways like you are drawing by hand um freeway interchanges like intersections and stuff and optimizing that for the ai uh of the the way the cars go and at the end of it like you can zoom out and see just the entire like massive highway system that you made 
Um, mm. I don't know what to call those because they both kind of fall into like optimization mm. management puzzle. Um, but like that particular also, kind, kind of, of city thing. Builder. Yeah. Kind of city builder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to, a, to a yeah. certain degree. Yeah. But like, I like it's hard to categorize those, but those feel perfect for, uh, for, for touch based, for touch based phone play to me. Yeah. Yeah. So th- those are all basic things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird though, because even with those things, that's not the way that it feels like it's moving. Yeah. Um, when, uh, oh, and I guess, you know, we talk about the elephant in the room, which is, uh, free to play mechanics mm-hmm. um you know that is that is a gamer canard yeah uh, but i do typically with the, a gigantic plants versus zombies to exception uh, <laughs> do not download anything that's free to play yeah um i don't want to uh that to me uh there are ones where people are like no no it's actually good like it barely impacts it and mm-hmm. i don't believe that uh when people have told me that before uh, it's not been true yeah you know, in, in a general sense, like people just <laughs> lied. Like, no, no. I mean, yes, you can technically do it, but yeah, it's a huge pain in yeah. ass without <laughs> it, uh, without spending money. And then once they get your money, they want more of it. Yeah. It never ends, actually. So now, like, a game that's built from the ground up for touch interfaces that uh, just cost a flat amount of money ends up being this weird kind of prestige event sometimes. Yeah. You yeah. know, where you like, you just, oh, Monument Valley. Shit, like everyone's <laughs> talking about this. You know, like you, you end up with, with things like the Framed. Oh God! Like mm-hmm. you know, everyone's talking about those games, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that pop out like that because they are kind of rare, and it mm-hmm. does feel like I browse the store often because I like browsing a store. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know it's uh, they're still there, but it is there are fewer of them. Yeah, well, I mean, even, you know, no matter how big those get in terms of word of mouth, it also feels like they never make any money, and I think that they're, mm-hmm. they're just that that is a result of the. Um, just the, the 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 sheer race to the bottom of mobile game pricing stuff uh, yeah. that, that goes on that is infecting kind of everything. Uh, like every everywhere games are sold, the exact same things happening. So to sell Monument Valley at the price that w- it would need to, you know, it, it would need per unit to make a profit, people would turn their nose up at it and they wouldn't go for it. They would have to sell mm-hmm. it at like the first two years of the app store prices. You know, as opposed to the three dollars or whatever it is that it ultimately came out at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I will only generally play a game that has a free to play structure if I have tried something else from the studio and I trust them. See the Super Stickman Golf series, which I think made a very graceful transition to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there are ways to make it uh, okay. Yeah. But it's generally not my fave. Mm hmm. Also, thing. golf games. Super Stickman golf is fun. Yeah, and all golf games are good. Mm-hmm. What the golf is phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> what um, the golf. Talking about generous games, man. No. Yeah, yeah. Just really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that I think is going to be our, our topic yeah. for this month. We appreciate everyone writing in. If you would like to write in, uh, the way you do so is by being a patron at patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Mm-hmm. If we didn't get to your question or topic, we will. Yes. Um, and if you do want to write in, please uh, watch for the prompt to go up and respond in a comment on that thread. Uh, that is the yes. way that those get corralled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's move um, on to uh, responses to games. Let's do. Um, a lot of people wrote in. We really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a reminder, uh, if you want to write in, the deadline is always the 15th. And you do so at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yes um this month because soma is a story heavy game that um you kind of you know don't want to be spoiled on in order to go along for the ride with it uh we are going to put the soma responses uh at the at the end after the admin 
uh, just so uh, if you want to be unspoiled, it will be easy to be unspoiled. Uh, let's get into it with uh, Responsible Dino Crisis 2. I will start. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Eric who sponsored the episode. Uh, Eric says via contact, hey, I sponsored this episode. Anyway, <laughs> Dino Crisis 2, it whips ass. It whips a satisfying, modest, B-plus kind of ass. <laughs> uh, I'm really happy with the kismet of where this landed on you guys' schedule. Devil May Cry, for all its faults, codified how the three how 3D action game should feel, and Dino Crisis 2 feels like the semi-forgotten evolutionary step between it and Resident Evil. As such, I think it's the best 3D action game on the PS1, simply by being the one that actually feels good. What's its closest competitor? Siphon Filter? Woof. Uh, with how much I like this game, uh, I have a real instinct to mourn the series, to wish it had lasted longer than it did. But honestly, I think this is the only time Dino Crisis had a worthwhile place in the landscape. Dino Crisis 1 is dull as dirt, Dino Crisis 3 is apparently a total mess, and I'm pretty sure the Gun Survivor series was a purgatory where Capcom sent any developers that displeased them. I'm happy with this series existing in my mind as this dumb-as-bricks five-hour thrill ride that I revisit every few years. (laughs) It's one of those things yeah. where, like, it sounds like you're being incredibly mean to this game, but it's actually mm-hmm. just a—it's an expression of affection. Like, I could not think of a better way to describe this uh, uh, than as a dumb as bricks five-hour thrill ride, and that's what's cool about it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yep, yep. We're not denigrating it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Dino yeah. Crisis Two is really good. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything yeah. to add on top of that. Other than, yeah, I like that it kind of worked out with us talking about that and uh, Devil May Cry very close to each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Josh writes via contact, I played through Death's Gambit while listening to your Bonfireside chat episodes about it last week. You talked about how in one of the sections, it seems like all the people have collectively uploaded their consciousness into a robot dinosaur. I then listened to your Dino Crisis 2 episode where you talk about how dinosaurs are sent into the future and people are able to uh, talk with them through computers or something like that, which got me thinking, is Death's Gambit secretly a sequel to Dino Crisis? In light of this inexcusable and insubstantial musing, uh, what are some of your favorite and least favorite video game continuity conspiracy theories? Mm. Hmm. Uh, I forgot about the uploading consciousnesses to dinosaurs part of Death's Gambit. Well, because we talked about it on a show. Yeah, that... so it went in the memory hole. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, favorite and least favorite video game continuity conspiracy theories. Yeah. Um, typically, the like this is a secret sequel to mm-hmm. uh, timeline stuff kind of bums me out. Yeah. Uh, because I, I try, you know, whether... It'd be fun to not think this or not. I can't shake the part of me that understands how much creation is an accident caused by a lot of people mm-hmm. when it comes to games. You know, like there are so many decisions and compromises made that things are very rarely like one succinct, succinct and coherent vision. Mm-hmm. And for something to be like a secret sequel or tie into a timeline like that, it just requires more planning yeah. uh, than I think is actually really possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I tend to stay away from that tab on TV tropes, the wild, ma- yes. wild mass guessing or whatever. Like if somebody told me Armored Core takes place in the far future of Dark Souls, I'd be like, OK, cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. There we go. OK, fine. Doesn't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm real. I'm real. Live and let live and let live on it. Um, yeah. I don't like it uh, when, uh, you know, when the developers or publishers come out and say this is the way that it works together. The Zelda timeline, yeah. see that? You know, yeah. Zelda I like timeline mystery. Is dumb as shit. I um, like mystery. Yeah, yeah. Zelda timeline would be a good topics 
No, yeah. Just to be like, why does this suck? <laughs> and we kind of did that when we talked about lore and stuff, but mm-hmm. like that almost deserves its own specific yeah. thing because yeah. it's, you know, it is talk to death, but boy, does it suck. Mm-hmm. I think. Agree. Uh, it's okay if you disagree, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, moving on to comments on Resident Evil 5, Nicholas says via contact. Back in 2010, I had uh, bought the unfortunate PlayStation Move controllers and I was searching for half decent games to play with it. Never having really been exposed to the Resident Evil franchise outside of the regretful films, I picked up the RE5 Gold Edition. I personally don't remember that much about the game, other than the less-than-ideal way uh, playing the game with the damned move controllers. <laughs> I had spent money on those damn things, and I was bloody well going to get my money's worth out of them. Way more games supported those things than you realize. I, uh, I've never done anything with those, and I never will. Uh, if you get a and PSVR, you will. You. Say what? <laughs> sorry uh if you get a psvr you will yep it's the only way you can play daracene <laughs> fuck daracene yep damn it daracene <laughs> yeah i just uh i don't um when that came out i remember thinking that was dumb at the time mm-hmm. uh you know same thing with the wii like i don't i'm not interested in moving a thing through space rather than using a mm-hmm. controller i love controllers yeah i love buttons mm-hmm. uh they're simple they're on or off yeah uh you know yeah, the, the the one cool thing that I can say that I've done with the PS Move controllers outside of VR, and they're perfectly fine in VR, they they, they work, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, I like that better than holding a controller in VR, um, but, um, oh gosh, uh, go and buy Sports Friends and play um, Johann Sebastian Joust, mm. uh, that is the one where uh, you have to move very very slowly while the uh while the music is playing and when the music is not playing you can move quickly and the um the the goal is to kind of like jostle the other players in order to make them um uh move at the wrong speed at the wrong time so it's like a uh like a very low speed contact sport as uh as uh deliberated or as uh officiated by a you know by a ps4 that is plugged in Hmm. yeah it's fun I could see it. Um, how do they work in RE5? Do you know? I have no idea. I imagine you're aiming, <laughs> aiming with one, but yeah. like your left one doesn't have a, it doesn't have like a button. So I have no idea how movement or turning would work. And I think they're, that's they're what just it'd like be. Going bingo dabs. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I think it'd be really bad. Yeah. Uh, Moonboard. No, thank you to me. No, thank you to me. Uh, Moonmore writes in via context saying, I'm going to hazard a guess that I'm in a minority when I say that RE5 and co-op is the only Resident Evil game that I've played significantly and or beaten and fairly recently too. I can see why fans would be upset at this game. The horror is non-existent and the presentation is over the top to the point of being more like uh, my kind of action game uh, than another person's kind of horror game. I believe Moonborn is the person who requested Devil May Cry that is correct okay yes so character over the top action game kind of things uh move more continues but as a co-op shooter i enjoyed it a lot i don't play many multiplayer games but the level of communication and cooperation required between players was more than i've ever experienced in a shooter as a result i think the ham-fisted potness theming in the story while still being extremely silly uh feels just a tad more meaningful in the multiplayer experience in other words i'm saying that the power of friendship is an important theme you should play uh uh what is that get out or uh <laughs> what's, what's what's it not get out that's the movie oh way what out is the uh way out yeah, you should play a way out mm-hmm. also about partners yeah as an important theme yeah um yeah i uh i i can never imagine feeling that i i 
the idea of getting through a video game thing with somebody and then feeling closer to them uh, in a real emotional way yeah, uh, is extremely alien to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games are fake, everybody. Yeah. But uh, at as, least in my, my instinct. But RE, RE5 as a game that has a lot of, what did I call them in the, uh, in the episode? Like fun time activities for partners and friends. You know, things like that, you know, above and beyond what you would find in an army of two or in a, um, oh gosh, in a resistance or a gears of war, which is pretty much entirely about combat kind of stuff. Like there are like set pieces and cool things that you can do with your partner where you're covering each other. And it's like spelled Mm -hmm. out in a good way. Like I can, you know, like I remember that being fun, the little bit that I did for it. So that would be the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a blast. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that it got any <laughs> thematic resonance. Right, right. It's not going to bridge that gap. Yeah. Uh, Ryan says via contact. Hey, partners. After I completed <laughs> the RE3 remake earlier this year, I was craving for more Resident Evil, so I decided to go back to some of the previous titles in the series that I have not played recently. I started with 7, which I did not finish because of the spooky factor, but this attempt stuck, and I ended up absolutely loving it, other than the section on the ship. After RE7, I was still keen to play another, so I chose 5 as a sort of palate cleanser, and, oh boy, was it ever a choice. I honestly don't have too much to add to the conversation other than that it is an enjoyable and goofy co-op experience. My friend and I basically spent the whole playthrough messing around and spamming the call to partner button (laughs) whenever it was available, as well as killing each other whenever one player was in control of a crank for the bridge. Uh, We also managed to fail the fight against Jill at least 20 times due to a lack of coordination, but it was all in good fun because that's what it means to be a a partner. Uh, And you guys should know because, well, you are partners. And that is the lesson that the game taught me. All bullshit aside, thank you guys for covering resident evil 5 although i really wish there was more combat data love you sweet boys thank you spamming call to partner is the way to go yeah uh that is so fucking fun that is uh <laughs> me and derek have been uh playing like once every two or three weeks playing uh-huh. remnant from the ashes okay and one of the, the spams you can do uh in that in that uh game they have instead of art stones they have world stones mm-hmm and we both picked the same voice for our character. <laughs> and we each had a button that was like, we should find. And the delivery is so good. It's like, we should find a world stone. <laughs> hey, let's get back to the world stone. Where's the world stone? We should find a world stone. And we just run around this town shooting plant men, just constantly talking about like getting back to the world stone in that in like almost exactly that voice. It's super fun. <laughs> hey, we should get back to the world stone. Yeah. It sounds like a, a mom on a commercial offering our kids pizza rolls. Yeah. Uh, it's like really good. You'll, like you I'll call hungry. tomorrow. You'll call now. I'll call now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you boys want pizza on a bagel. You should get pizza on a bagel. Uh, Anything there's a, anytime there's a vocal bark, yeah. Uh, me and Derek do that. We also sprint while crouched because that is always <laughs> consistently a hilarious animation. <laughs> yeah, I am a I'm a big fan even of accidentally sabotaging your co-op partner, especially if there's mm. a you know if the, if the checkpoint is good. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it's a good time. Yeah, I, I I enjoy being a dick, just like the just like Ryan was talking about with uh, shooting the person who was operating the crank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Super fun. Yeah. Um yeah. maybe this is why people don't play games with me. Or they or you don't even have to shoot him, just let him let it go. <laughs> like, sure, I'll hold the football for you, sucker. <laughs> Teach you to trust me. Oh, mm-hmm. partner. Oh, mm-hmm. geez. Uh let's see. Uh is it Riley? And is it me? 
It is you and it is Riley. Okay. Riley says, the standout aspect of Resident Evil 5 for me uh, is uh, is and always has been the co-op mercenaries mode. My friend group played it tons in secondary school online or split screen at each other's houses. Uh, it's given the game a strong place in all of our memories. Playing the shirt bursts, the shirt, the short bursts, the shirt bursts. Playing the short like burst shirt burst combat. I, I, with... I ate some shirt shirt borscht. Yep, I ate some shirt borscht. <laughs> Just... I had some shorts Gestapo. Gaspacho. <laughs> Gaspacho. Yeah. Ooh, short, ooh. The shorts Gestapo ooh, is from the adult reimagining of Pokemon. Oh, <laughs> these, Jesus. These are fun and easy and mandatory to wear. Goal. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Playing the short burst of combat with a friend is a blast, and I'm happy to say that it's held up. What hasn't held up so well is the PvP versus mode. If you think RE5 wouldn't translate very well to PvP, you'd be correct. What does make it kind of interesting is the specific tricks that players learn, like the advantages of the snappy RE4 control control scheme over the default RE5 one, or how quickly swapping between weapons lets you accurately land an RPG shot in a second. Uh, It felt as though we were using a saw to make the, the, the square peg fit through the round hole, turning a mode that doesn't Uh, that totally doesn't work into one that only mostly doesn't work Uh, i have a hard time calling versus mode good but i'd be lying if i said that i didn't hold a fondness for it oh yeah Yeah. playing like playing with the box with your friends is is good like that like that is totally worthwhile even if the actual mode is bad yeah yeah and i also like that was one of my regrets about recording this was i kind of forgot it had a versus mode until we got into the recording Mm -hmm. uh but i meant to fuck around with that yeah a little bit at least watch a bunch of it and i never did yeah so i oftentimes forget that exists mm-hmm. it was 2009 the year of the unnecessary versus mode mm-hmm. yeah. yeah uh doug says via contact my primary memory of re5 was one of confusion and frustration setting aside the game's much discussed race problems the core mechanics carried over from re that carried over from re4 remained compelling enough for me to keep going even as the plot lurched from one insanity to another but for me the overriding problem was sheva because i had to escort her and mind her health i'd find myself uh competently taking down enemies only to have a game over when she died off uh to the side in later games like the last of us or god of war the companion tends to stay off to the side and only gets in peril rarely as a way of spicing up the action on the other hand sheva was imperiled so regularly that she monopolized my attention uh that the choice was often repeat a section to avoid her death and or use all my resources on her or try to complete the section perfectly the end result of that was a lot of unnecessary deaths and lost progress perhaps if there's ever an re5 make this among many issues will be remedied in summary kajuju is a land of contrasts (laughs) yeah I think that that's a generally a problem with balancing for co-op in that they decided not to really uh, mm-hmm. make, make it, make it any, any different if uh, Sheva is uh, AI controlled or not and hoping that her AI would suffice. Yeah. yeah. And it did enough for me, but there are a lot of problems with it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Forest writes via contact. I think the Magini in this game are badass. And no, I don't mean that I think racial stereotypes are badass. What I mean is, enemies you fight in a lot of games are boilerplate and boring. Think of the dudes that you shoot in Tomb Raider or Uncharted. What are they? Poachers? Mercenaries? What are in the, what, what are they in the game? 
What are they doing other than just aimlessly patrolling the level saying shit like, we're going to kill him or where did he go while you crouch, walk around a broken car or whatever nearby? Probably vaguely Eastern European and wearing jeans and a hoodie. As insensitive as the betrayal of the Magini is, I absolutely love their design and the attention to detail in their rendering. Caked with mud and travel cries and masks they wear when swarming you in the semi-open airboat level. Uh, It's a strong, unique identity that doesn't get praised often in light of the discourse around the game. I feel like both, I feel like making both protagonists people of color and taking out the white woman attack scene early on would go a long way towards making this game more palatable. Thoughts? I... You know, I, I, my instinct is yes, but also I'd want, you know, I, somebody with more skin in the game should probably decide that. I know that sounds like a cop out, but like yeah. this, this game wasn't designed to hurt me. Right. You know, like it wasn't designed to hurt anybody, but it didn't have the effect of hurting me. I would mm-hmm. want somebody who was hurt by the betrayal to answer that question. Yeah. I don't feel um, like I'm in a position to bargain with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely understand the point that these are not boilerplate. Mm-hmm. Uh, enemies that was something i really appreciated about re4 as well yeah um is this kind of like gothic villager and then uh cultist and mix of knights <laughs> uh, kind, kind of thing that showed yeah, up uh, later yeah. uh was 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 good um you know i agree that it is visually more interesting mm-hmm. um but you know i also think whenever i think of something like that like there are just so many areas of the world with cultural touchstones that don't have this game's intended primary audience's history with uh, racialized violence mm-hmm. that you could do. Like what do, uh, like what are traditional, like people attacking like Russian folk garb or something, Yeah, yeah. you know, or like, uh, you know, any, any number of places like, you know, what, uh, like they're, they're just every example. I feel like I'm going to come up with someone's gonna be like, Oh, so it's okay to be racist against Irish people. <laughs> no, we just didn't enslave them. You fucker. <laughs> like, straw man. Uh, not Forrest, just person who's yelling at me in my head. Yep. Um, so, so I think that there's a lot you could have done to be more interesting than Eastern European dude in a hoodie mm-hmm. without actually invoking, you know, white people coming to Africa and slaughtering hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of black people. Yeah. Without, without picking an example that had that much baggage, but I understand like, you know, visual yeah. identity is really important. Storyline identity is really important. Just, uh, they, they, they happen, they happen to draw a bad card here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pizza is via contact despite my many modern reservations with the game uh, i have warm memories of playing re5 and co-op with friends in the chicago suburbs sitting together on ancient carpet in cold basements we chew through the same campaigns perfect dark halo re5 left for dead again and again just to have a chance to work together as a group to strategize a way through the levels we'd enter an almost uh, meditative state together where you drop your adolescent anxious filters and just speak to whatever comes to mind a few years passed, we all moved to separate colleges in separate towns, and then Dead Space 3 came out. The game gave you the option of playing the entire campaign with a buddy. This choice was widely criticized at the time, but having played through the campaign solo and then with a friend, it was amazing how the single player felt like the previous horror-focused entries in the series, but the former scratched another itch entirely. I wonder if RE5 6 could have pulled uh, that off somehow so that the single player felt like a horror-driven experience, but when you bring a friend along, suddenly it's an action movie. Thanks for reading us, and thank you for the show. Thank you for writing. Yeah, uh, that's you know good good points. That is, I also you know co op owns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I also have very similar fond memories, and that state you get into with your friends of cooperative problem solving against uh, an AI uh, is extremely fun to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is one of the best feelings. Yeah. Having not played Dead, Dead Space 3 and only knowing it by its uh, reputation, it would be hard to say if RE5 or 6 could have 
um, could, 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 could have made that, made that putt, you know, mm-hmm. where it's one thing, one way and another thing, another way. I just think that they, they decided, they, they decided to, you know, solve for making it co-op without, without solving for the solo in terms of, yeah. in terms of tone and stuff, like in a way that if they added co-op play to RE4, I think that it would still be creepier than this, you know? Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. Um, you know, and then eventually RE4 gets uncreepy entirely yes. as well, you know? So it's, it's not the kind of thing I think that like a co-op horror, a pure co-op horror experience and those working, uh, you know, uh, uh, well together is a difficult pot. Yeah. Generally. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what does, uh, Ian say about doom three? Yeah. Moving on to doom three responses. Um, I replayed, uh, Ian says I replayed all of the doom games during quarantine and this run through was my first encounter with doom three. This game pushes strongly into the aliens influences of doom, but without the extremely powerful up close shotgun Hicks had. Yes, it's possible to one-shot some monsters at close range, but it felt like random chance on anything bigger than a zombie. Uh, Its massive damage reduction at range made it worthless against groups of trikes or lost souls. Uh, The other guns mostly felt good and fun to use, but the lack of a good shotgun is disappointing for any id game. I I like the shotgun as long as you use it as a melee weapon. Yeah. But it is not, you know, in terms of Doom shotguns, it's probably the worst one while still being good. Yes. Um, the fact that you couldn't use it for um, the Lost Souls was a real big bummer for me because, like, that's what a shotgun is for, is to shoot a mm-hmm. flying thing at 30 feet. Like, <laughs> yeah. at a specific, like, real shotgun choke. And video games have, like, taken that and turned, you know, to turn shotguns into a different thing than they actually are. And, yeah, it's just a just a choice. It would have been fun if there were two shotguns, one for one for range and one for not. But, you know. Yeah. There are already plenty of weapons. Alt fire mode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, strong choke versus weak choke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Abe says via contact. The original version of Doom 3 includes one of my favorite video game Easter eggs. A couple times throughout the game, the player would come across locked cabinets labeled with the name, uh, brand name Martian Buddy. They can only be opened using a code which was not found anywhere in the game. The answer was to go to the website, martianbuddy.com, a fake site made by the developers solely for the purpose of providing the access code to unlock these cabinets. When using games, the code gave you access to helpful gear, a few weapons earlier than usual. I believe the chain gun and the BFG. Nowadays, martianbuddy.com redirects you to a different Doom-based website, and research tells me this Easter egg was removed with the release of the BFG edition. Never having played Metal Gear Solid, this was my closest experience to the well-known back-of-the-CD case moment that I find so creative in game design. Yeah, we didn't talk about Martian Buddy at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Martian Buddy is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's probably how I got the uh, BFG. Yeah. Early, uh, when I mentioned that, because I, I think that what happened was I just didn't find the code, and I remembered, oh, yeah, like, I can't get this code mm-hmm. now, so I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, like, yeah. there's a fun story beat where, like, somebody is trying to get um, trying to get important information past a filter. And he disguises mm-hmm. it as a uh, as a spam message. I, I I I wish that I had made a note of that. It's something I read about later. Yeah, it's yeah. neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kyle writes. I hope this message gets in, gets in on time, as I wanted to put out a PSA for people interested in playing Doom Three on the PC. 
Both of you wished in the episode that you could use the original flashlight in the BFG edition. And as a matter of fact, you can. The Doom BFA mod, which adds a number of improvements to the game, also allows you to switch the way the flashlight operates in the game. After installing it, uh, launch the doombfa.exe file uh, in your Doom 3 install folder, then go to Settings and Advanced Options, um, and there are two options. Uh, sorry, from there you'll see the, flash, the flashlight mode option, uh, which allows you to choose from BFG, Original, or BFG Mix. The first two are pretty self-explanatory, and the BFG Mix uh, gives you the original flashlight switching with the battery depletion of the BFG edition. Hopes this mm. help impr- helps to improve everyone's experience with the game and long live the mods. Indeed, long long live the mods. That sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is awesome. BFA uh, mod. Yeah, uh, Kyle reached out specifically to be like, hey, I got this in. I hope I got it in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to make sure that one was in there. And uh, yeah, thanks for writing in about that. Yeah. That is awesome. Good PSA. Sounds like a good way to play the game. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Soma things, and the spoilers are off. This is, here's your warning. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan says via contact, this is one of the first games I have played that was covered on the show, and I bought it after listening to half the episode. The overall setting and atmosphere with a beautiful combination of horror and sadness combined into an outstanding experience that really left an impact on me. And listening to the end track on repeat, it still makes me sad that Simon is stuck at the bottom of the ocean. Only one of them and is. And then there's a little sad <laughs> emoji. Several of the other ones are dead. <laughs> Almost more, all of them. And more, some of them are in un, unknown hells. Yeah. <laughs> you know? More, more, uh, uh, more Simons are dead than not. So therefore, Simon is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Schrodinger's <laughs> Simon. Yeah. Oh, geez. The, 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 the sum of an alternating plus one and negative one is one half or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, Eli writes via contact. I, I don't have anything anything else to say. I also am sad that that uh, Simon is dead at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, so many yeah. Simons. Eli, so little time. <laughs> Eli asks, or, uh, writes, "Hey guys." Um, so I was late to the party and getting my hands on this game, so I've only played the introduction, but I'm excited to sink my teeth into it. Despite this, I thought that I'd point out the fun fact that the day that Simon goes in for his brain scan, Saturday, May 2nd of 2015, uh, was actually my 21st birthday. Uh, to think some 10 hours after Simon starts his long nap, a fresh-faced Eli was waking up to legally have a drink at a bar for the first time. And of course, I didn't even get carded. Same, buddy. Same. Yeah. I want to do a quick cl- correction. Uh, a fresh-faced Eli was walking up. Mm. Uh, a fresh-faced Eli was waking up to legally have a drink at the <laughs> bar for the first time. Is a different characterization. That, that, cool. is, a, that is a different thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, was uh, the, was uh, walking up. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So just, Thank uh, you. Thank you for yeah, catching you can that. Go, you can go hard at 21, but, you know, pretty yeah. hard. Don't, don't, go, don't go that hard. Yeah. And let me be the last to wish you a happy birthday, Eli. <laughs> happy um, 21st birthday. Happy 21st birthday. Uh, Chris says via contact, uh, Soma is a game that made a big impact on me. From being introduced by horror game reaction videos on YouTube to finally playing it for myself on the PS4, I was drawn in by the look and feel of it. The way it keeps the central existential horror nested inside grotesque body horror, which is nested within an ominous and oppressive environment. The way Simon's mind protects him by letting him uh, only see his normalized self-image of a normal human being until the illusion is broken. This made me think of the other monsters in the game as they were created in a 
similar way to Simon, albeit not as sophisticated. I wonder how they see themselves and the world around them. Do you think they're uh, normal as well, but they're unable to express it to anyone? Have they accepted uh, what they are as deformed monstrosities, or have they just become mindless proxies to the WoW's design? I mean, I think pretty much everybody, at least the ones that will speak to you, they believe mm-hmm. that they're humans. Like, the you know... And the, yeah yeah carl the ones that aren't are canonically insane yes you know so they've lost it like i don't think they're really thinking in those terms Mm -hmm. yeah so like the ones that are like swimming around at the bottom of the sea they like they they don't have a coherent view of anything other than just being angry right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah um but it's a great idea to think like you know it reminds me of that bioshock 2 moment where you see things from little sisters Mm -hmm. perspective uh, and everything is like candy and roses yeah you know, and like there's flowers blooming out of the corpses and stuff. Um, I love that shit. I mean, just like per- perception is a very good. Uh, it's a it's a very good vector for horror. You know, they look yeah, like, they monsters look like monsters to you. To you? Yeah, jinx. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, it's uh, a famous example. It's not. It's not strange that we both yeah. went to it. <laughs> no. And it's it's like we both played yes. the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what does Tom say? Tom says, I've been a fan of Frictional since Amnesia, The Dark Descent. However, I was relatively late to this game, only having played it maybe two years. Um, or I was I was late to Amnesia, The Dark Descent, only having played it maybe two years before Soma's release. I quickly found a machine for pigs and dived into that as well. So I was pleasantly surprised when Soma was announced and bought it as soon as it was as soon as it was released. Upon first playing it, I was a little disappointed because the feeling was so different compared to The Dark Descent and A Machine for Pigs. I was perhaps expecting something more visceral and with an old-fashioned feeling. However, the more that I played, um, the more immersed, pun not intended, I became. Soma absolutely captured an invading feeling of dread and horror the deeper uh, under the ocean that you explored. I constantly felt an immense pressure and weight to my actions that was part due to the environment, but also due to being one of the last traces of humanity left. I felt there was so much more to my actions than pure self-preservation. No other game uh, I have played has made me feel quite so lonely or as despondent as Soma did, uh, and the ending truly filled me with the, with despair. I immediately did an, another run-through of the game, and in the following following years, I have played it through at least twice more. I haven't listened to the WAF episode yet, but I'm excited to hear your thoughts, especially as your episode on The Dark Descent was one of the first episodes that I heard, and it prompted me to become a subscriber. As always, keep up the great work, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Uh, well put. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything to add to that. Yeah. Um, I was really cool on a machine for pigs, so this felt good to me to come to this it's definitely a return Uh, to form after machine for pigs um yeah you know and even initially you know i was cool on soma compared to um the dark descent because it felt so different it was only through repeated playings and through you know talking about it that i came to appreciate the specific kind of thing that soma is doing and it makes me respect frictional more for being able to uh you know tap into a different kind of horror right yeah, they're evolving. Like I haven't, yeah. I've been on blackout about the new Amnesia game, but uh, like the few blurbs of snuck past that uh, don't make it sound like it's predictable. Yeah, I'm so you excited know, in, about that in, game. Anyway. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know exactly when we'll be able to play it because again, I feel like a billion years behind. <laughs> uh, but I do. Uh, I love that they're evolving. Yeah, I, I love that they're not the postal service. Mm-hmm. You know, just riding on one album with one sound for <laughs> thirty years. Yeah. Um. You know, so it is, it is really good yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley says via contact, 
The duo of Simon and Catherine are a huge part of why I love Soma, especially Catherine. She's such a uh, full and immensely relatable character. Some writer, uh, some write her off as just being cruel and manipulative, but to me, it ties more into her shy awkwardness and general social anxiety. As seen in The Climber to the Depths, she's worried about upsetting Simon and genuinely considers them friends, uh, which makes it all the sadder that the final uh, thing one Catherine experiences is a fight with him shouting about how much he hates her, uh, shorting out before they can make amends. But despite how bleak the game can be, it was genuinely one of the most uplifting I've ever played, bursting to the brim with humanity. Existentialist is the best way I can describe it, not only for the dread and the primacy it places on one consciousness, one's consciousness in experiencing and understanding the world, but for the beauty and meaning you can find despite the hardship. Launching the arc was an incredible good, which left me thinking about my own place in the long stretch of human history, grateful for what Catherine herself calls the privilege of being. Very well put. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, agreed. Uh, you know, I also find, you know, brimming with humanity is something I think I said in the episode, but if not, that's definitely something I think about this game. Yeah. Like what could be more human than what you do Mm -hmm. in this game? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And the more that I think about anything really, uh, the more I value humanity in every aspect of, uh, of life in people and Mm -hmm. in situations and in art media. So what someone has is special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Matthew writes, I can't play horror games. I'm a big scaredy cat and not afraid to admit it. I can watch horror movies all day long, uh, but as soon as you give me control of the character, it gets too real, and I just nope out of there as fast as possible. However, I made the exception for Soma. I knew the themes and concepts it played with, and the the part of my brain that loves high-concept sci-fi overrode uh, the part that cannot handle horror. Soma is one of those games that uh, has stuck with me uh, years after playing it. The biggest reason being that the ending actually fooled me. The game has been making it super textual that the mind transferring technology is creating a copy of yourself in a new place, not actually transferring your mind. However, the the protagonist and the player have both followed the perspective of the copy after every transfer. In the very last moments, you are preparing to copy your mind of the arc and launch it into space. I remember feeling very anxious because I was starting to worry that I, quote, wouldn't make it into the arc. When the transfer finished and the arc was launched and the player's per- the player perspective was still sitting there at the bottom of the ocean, I felt some very real despair come over me. I felt so stupid. Of course, that's how this would work. That's how it's worked the whole game. I love when a game messes with the player's perspective and disempowers the main character like this. I love how bad this made me feel. Soma is a great game with many top tier moments, but this one really tops off the whole awful cake. Yeah. Uh, decisions with incomplete information. Yep. Relatable mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. people, people making imperfect choices. Yes. As opposed to behaving like machines. Mm-hmm. With clear you inputs know. and outputs. Yeah. Yeah. Good shit. Mm-hmm. In video games. Agreed, Matthew. Uh, Zach says via contact. Like a lot of folks, I've been falling back to comfortable art these days, replaying the same games, rereading the same books, rewatching Bob's Burgers Yo. till I basically have it memorized. <laughs> but strangely enough, I've also found myself drawn into really intense media. 
There are choices, but none of them are good media. <laughs> Soma is a great example of this. I played through the game once before and wasn't sure how it would hold up, but revisiting it was still a powerful experience. It's about as bleak as games get, but it's not nihilistic, and that feeling of constant pressure huh, is incredibly <laughs> effective. You constantly feel like you can't move another step forward, yet you can't bear to stay where you are. This is especially true of the underwater sequences, which rival Silent Hill for their ability to create a sense of visceral danger and loneliness through visuals and sound design alone. It's a story about doomed individuals setting out to complete a nearly impossible act, and it's one that starts harrowing and only gets more bleak. But I found profound beauty in the simple act of choosing to try. There's no hope here, not really, but it's about what you do after hope ends. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah, the yeah. The, the way that Soma stands athwart any, any, any attempt at a nihilistic read is mm-hmm. um, really remarkable, I think, given what it depicts. Yeah. And, you know, nihilism is boring. Grow out of it, teens. <laughs> like, it is it's yeah. way cooler to, yeah. you know, to just, genuinely want and think and hope for things. Just, just take take a couple of parts of that, you know, tweak it around and come over to the existentialist side, buddy. Yeah. 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 We're all we, we're all we have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not bleak. Yep. <laughs> you know, throw on Roxy Music's more than this and mm-hmm. get down. Go for you it. Know? So, <laughs> yeah, well said, Zach. Yes. Um, and then rounding out here, finally, we have Ethan, who says via contact, I'm not sure if I'm contributing this for the dispatch, but I wanted to send in, nonetheless, send it in nonetheless as a sincere form of positive feedback. I've been listening to your show since the summer of 2019, and it has been a bright spot in the dismal 2020. On top of the usual 2020 fun and adventure, I also lost my wife to an ongoing battle with brain cancer in February, uh, and then my father in late August. Uh, it's weird to say that a gaming podcast has been one of the bright spots amidst so much grief and death, but you've both connected uh, you've both connected me to gaming, at least vicariously, during a time when not much brings me joy. Um, I want to stop here and say I'm very sorry for your loss, just before we say any more. Um, it seems more important than going into stuff about Soma. Yes. So, yeah. Thank you, Ethan. I'm yeah, very sorry for your loss. I cannot imagine. Yeah uh what what that is like and thank you very much for kind words and very happy to uh help in whatever small way we can yeah um and now i'll move on to soma here um when i heard that you were covering soma though i got very apprehensive about listening first i'm not the biggest fan of frictional games and style of horror i also knew that it dealt with a subject matter that these recent deaths made more terrifying i won't say that i'm super religious but i have a modicum of faith click clacking around with losing my wife, I have started to, started to cling to some hope that I will see my loved ones again. This is tough. Sorry. Um, it might uh, end up being fictional, but right now it is a comforting fiction. I was most of all afraid that a podcast that I really enjoyed all these years was going to have an episode uh, that was two known atheist podcasters shitting all over those beliefs. I'm so glad that I stuck it out um, and listened to the episode. Not only was the episode very entertaining, but it was so respectful in how you both handled uh, such a delicate and frankly terrifying subject matter. You spoke with such humanity on something so daunting. I know uh, both of you are no strangers to grief yourselves. And I appreciate you not blanching away from such a difficult topic, uh, but also treating it with the utmost respect. It was a thought-provoking episode and easily one of my favorites that you have put out. Thank you so much, and keep the keep up the great work. You are worth every Patreon penny. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. I'm happy um, that we, um, you know, didn't accidentally step on a landmine for somebody who was going through something close to, uh, you know, real issues depicted in the game we talked about. Yeah. And, and as much as like, uh, I, I am 
genetically incapable of being dishonest about my beliefs. So no. it's like on a podcast, I am definitely, you know, have to be honest about what I believe and my thought process, but I'm never going to try to take anything away from anybody, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and, you know, that's definitely true of something as important as religion and believe it or not, even true is something as unimportant as like Metroid prime fandom. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to take it away from you. I just can't not be honest about my experience, Yeah, but yeah. that doesn't mean, you know, I like to think of, you know, I think that like being a good person is a verb. It's a practice. Um, you know, it is, it's a spiritual practice, mm-hmm. even if there's nothing supernatural happening in it. And it's yeah. something that, uh, I do try for and i like to think that that's something that like you know i i want that effort to be known you know not for any ego appeasing reasons but because it means that i'm i'm doing it you know yeah, yeah. i'm doing the verb of it and i i do try yeah. you know so it, it it feels good you know i it feels like kind of petty to bring up feeling good in the face of this response but like it feels good to know that's how i'm coming off because yeah. that is uh that's my intent yeah yeah and I would never, um, if, you know, faced with somebody who, uh, embraced faith to deal with something as difficult as what, you know, you're going through or anything kind of analogous, uh, it'd be monstrous even to, um, you know, to say anything bad about it. Because I think that even, oh. even somebody who is not, I mean, I mean yes, I am. Yeah, I'm, we're not we're gonna be like, okay, listen, Ethan, yeah. thanks for the story. Oh, but buckle but, up. But, yeah. <laughs> like, no, like, I don't no. think it'd be monstrous to, to, to express something that is dismissive of faith. If you really feel it, you yeah, would be the same thing yeah. as just kind of saying it directly to Ethan in the face of this. Right. Right. So <laughs> that, 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 that was my way. I, that, I, I will retreat to my, my, my excuse here. I have a headache and I, I have my, my sleep has been all messed up. So it's hard to, put 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 some stuff together here uh but no no i think that generally um you know i uh, i have no problem with somebody you know going into you know going toward faith to help them get over stuff because you know not all faith is faith in the higher power or faith faith in an afterlife um i think that yeah. it's actually super important to understand your relationship you know between faith and doubt and i would definitely say that i you know am a person who does have a certain matter of faith even if it isn't in you know religion right yeah it's an important yeah. it's an and important it's also, human human you know you know it's an important aspect of humanity i think yeah yep. and even even as somebody who does not uh believe in a higher power like there is a very specific uh you know, my attitude towards that isn't celebratory and mocking, you know, I'm, I'm bummed out by it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, it doesn't feel true to me and that makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make me happy. Right. It's just how I, you know, I feel is true. Like when I have, you know, when I lost my mom, like when I lost Roars, all those things, all I wanted in the world is for that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't bridge that gap and I don't think anything less of anybody who can or does or has never had a gap there in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like I, you know, but it just, it doesn't feel intellectually honest to me. And that's, I have a weird authenticity bias. Like I can't, you know, round myself yeah. in different directions very easily. Uh, so I, I just, I can't do it, but I wanted to, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't think there's any failing in that. Yeah. So, but I, I appreciate you sharing that, that detail and that story, the way you describe it, it sounds like it was super recent and on top of a lot of other on top of a lot of other things. And I, I really hope that you are uh, managing. Okay. And putting the piece together when everything is already so difficult. Um, even yeah. without huge personal tragedy, uh, we're, we're, we're uh, rooting for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, thanks everybody for writing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have anything to say about November's games, which are no one lives forever, uncharted waters Two, 
or marathon to hit us up by november 15th at duckfeed.tv slash contact mm-hmm. and if you have thoughts about december's games go to the same place um duckfeed.tv slash contact to write in about them by december the 15th uh let's say what the games are uh it is our western yeah. uh winter western rpg month yeah, and this is a rare uh, RPG that is Patreon-sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't often happen, but just somebody presented a game in their list, and they're like, yeah, we would feel like doing that anyway. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do that in winter. Um, we are covering, for the first part of the month, uh, Dragon Age 2 and its expansions. Yes. Uh, first modern Bioware <laughs> game. Yeah. Uh, take, take it, it, Jade it, Empire. <laughs> Jade Empire was such a, such a weird uh, uh, kind of like straddler, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so the uh the uh, what we're going to be doing is uh the first two episodes are going to be kind of just about the main game mm-hmm. um let's see here and then we're going to have uh, an episode about the dlcs mm-hmm. and then uh for the premium episode that month coming out on december the 24th uh we're going to be doing a, a, a different game entirely yeah, that isn't quite a Western RPG, but mm-hmm. is adjacent enough, and we needed something we could do in one episode because of the odd number of uh, of weeks mm-hmm. in December. Um, we'll be doing Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Yeah. So, really excited about that. That is a little bit hard to get a hold of on mm-hmm. some platforms. Uh, I will forgive you if you emulate it. Um, and that is one of our rare entries into the uh, kind of Diablo-like. Yes genre i think the, that the only thing we've done that's close to that is like x-men legends 2 really yes the tapa tapa genre yes um but it's a good one mm-hmm. uh you know it's a it is a fun example of that and has that Baldur's gate uh kind of lore steez to it a little yeah bit. it's got the forgotten realms kind of stuff i couldn't convince you to do uh champions of norath and that is going to have to be fine yeah, it would be hard to because I would just be starting from zero. <laughs> what is Norath? Who is Norath? Yeah, is Norath uh, the uh, champion? Uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I am so big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, so. yeah. So thanks everybody for your patience. Um, if you uh, are interested in sponsoring an episode, you can do so at Patreon. Um, we are booking into. 2021 this year has mm-hmm. gone by so unimaginably slowly yeah. uh but we are finally uh <laughs> near the end of it yeah um and uh yeah uh we got really cool stuff coming up agreed for the uh first quarter so yeah. we're very excited some some weird ones mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah um so you can do that at patreon uh not everything is as costly as that on patreon you can even uh uh give uh five dollars a month and get all the premium mm-hmm. episodes of this show uh the Baldur's Indeed. gate episode is premium coming up the marathon episode is premium uh you get all mm-hmm. of those and uh we think yeah. it's a good value yeah absolutely and check out our new show orb mm-hmm. uh orb is a venture brothers podcast episode recap podcast we've recorded two episodes those mm-hmm. are trickling out now uh and we'd really love to uh get some heat behind that yeah uh as it's a new show yeah so ratings oh. and reviews on apple Podcasts or whatever whatever other directory uh you do and uh share it with uh your friends and followers mm-hmm uh, until next time, that's about it. Thanks uh, so. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week with No One Lives Forever. <laughs>